Thanks for downloading show 104 of the C-Suite podcast, the third in a series that we're producing in partnership with SAP UK uh, that we had originally planned to record at their Innovation X conference. However, as the event was cancelled due to concerns over the coronavirus, uh, we are currently recording all our interviews online instead. Uh, my name is Russell Goldsmith and the focus of this episode is addressing the UK productivity gap. Coming up in the show, we'll be hearing from Maria Papu, Chief Product Officer at Barclay Card Payments, and then Ben McGraw, Managing Director for the SNP Group in the UK. But joining me to kick off the discussion is Simon Carpenter, Head of SAP UK Centres of Expertise at SAP UK. Uh, Simon, thanks for joining us. Uh, the power of productivity was going to be the theme of one of the main stages at Innovation X. Uh, what was the thinking behind that? Russell, the general idea was this, that if we look at Western economies over the last couple of decades, in fact, going back to the 70s, productivity in advanced economies, generally speaking, has been declining or the rate of productivity growth has been declining. And of course, uh, if you take it from a big economic standpoint, that's a real challenge because productivity is the, the key to economic progress. It's how we get more out of the resources we have, how governments get to be able to invest in infrastructure. And from an organizational point of view, it's how organizations deliver effectively a return to their shareholders and have the funding available to be able to innovate and, and keep uh, growing their organizations. So fundamentally, productivity is a really, really important aspect, whether you're looking at it from a, a company perspective or a country. If you look at how we measure organizations in terms of the key levers we look at from a shareholder standpoint, you know, is this organization growing from a revenue point of view and a market share point of view? Is it profitable? Is it getting a good return on its assets? And is it making the right sort of strategic decisions? Productivity in one way or another touches all of those. So your return on capital employed, for example, effectively measures how well you're employing the assets of the organization to create uh, revenue. Likewise, you know, profitability is a, is a measure really of how much you're selling and how much resource you're using to do that selling at the end of the day. And again, it talks to uh, productivity. So that's a pretty important factor. So how are we seeing uh, things changing then? You know, what, what, what's emerging that, that you think will see productivity change? Well, I think it's it's worth looking very quickly at the history of ERP to understand the answer to this question. If we go back in time, and in fact, in SAP's case, that's all the way back to 1972, and we look at how we built and what we were thinking about when we built information systems for businesses, we, we started off really just trying to record what was happening in the organization. So, you know, we have a balance sheet and a profit and loss account that are kind of the ultimate measurements, if you like, or repositories of knowledge about the organization as far as a shareholder is concerned. And the early systems were all about measuring the revenues we were producing, the costs we were incurring, how that translated into the bottom line, and what that meant in terms of the structure of the balance sheet. So that is really where the term you may have heard, the system of record, it's deeply rooted in that kind of approach to software. Tracking forward a few years, if you, if you go back to the 1990s, what we saw emerge in the mid to late 1990s was a big focus on business process re-engineering. And at the time, what the gurus like uh, Hammer and Champy and Davenport and others were saying was, 
organizations needed to stop thinking about their businesses as silos and functions and start thinking about them as business processes. And in so doing, we saw this realization that systems of record, as we had historically cast them, weren't quite up to the job because quite often what you found in those days was each department or function had a separate system of record. So one was looking after inventory, another one was looking after debtors, another one was looking after the creditor's ledger and so forth. So at, at that point, ERP emerged onto the stage as a way of bringing together all of these separate systems of record into one data model, for want of a better term, that allowed the entire organization to do something once and see the outcome of that transaction across all of the various departments that are involved in a, in a business process. But it was still very much about recording what was happening and doing so in a way that made the support of a process a little bit more effective and efficient. And that's where we've been over the last you know, couple of decades. What's changing to your specific question yeah. right now is the rapid emergence of artificial intelligence in its various different flavors. Because this will now allow us to take uh, business processes and automate them in ways we've never been able to do before. And that will unlock massive productivity gains because people who've been doing highly repetitive and for them very boring work will now be unleashed to do more valuable things for the organization. And those repetitive tasks to which we have previously been applied expensive human resources can now be automated by an algorithm that runs 24 by seven, doesn't need a smoke break or a vacation and can just chug away in the background, getting done those low value, but important uh, business processes that, that every organization needs to run. So it's, it's a very disruptive point, I think, for most organizations. Can you share some examples from maybe, you know, a couple of different sectors that you're working with? Yeah, and I mean, it, it, one of the first applications we put on the market was something called SAP cash application. And the idea here is that we wanted to be able to automate the process of matching the receivables in the debtor's ledger to the payments that are flowing into the bank accounts. Now, typically today, that's done by a fleet of, of people in an organization, in, typically in the debtors department, who are very painstakingly going through the bank statements and trying to you know, match the payments to the line items in the ledger. You can apply, and many organizations have applied, robotic process automation to do that. It's one way of improving productivity, but that's based on a fairly static set of rules and it's not a, a self-learning type of environment as we're able to provide with machine learning. So unless you're continually revisiting those rules and they can become more and more complex as you do that, uh, it's difficult to get the, the ultimate expression of productivity. By taking machine learning, and building an algorithm that learns from the history that you already have in your system as to how you match those line items previously, we can very quickly improve the levels of productivity. So we, we have one large customer in the chemical industry that took their automation of their um, line item matching from 70% roughly 
with a, a robotic process automation system to over 90 with this machine learning application. We also have a, a company out there in the food and beverage industry that's managing its accounts receivable across about 130 countries. And they were one of the early adopters of, of this application as well. Today, they're automating the, the processing of about 30,000 postings a month. And one of the things that they've commented on, and, and I really think this is important, is that the users in accounts receivable like this application. Now, why is that important? Because you often hear people exhibiting some kind of fear that machine learning and other kinds of artificial intelligence are going to come along and take our jobs away. Yeah. But what these users are finding out is that it actually relieves them to go and do stuff that's more valuable, like actually getting on the phone and following up with a customer around an unpaid invoice or building you know, a relationship with the accounts payable clock in the customer, you know, doing stuff like that, that's more human uh, and uniquely human rather than, you know, going through kind of a spreadsheet type of exercise. So that's, um, that's all interesting stuff. Obviously, though, businesses uh, changed somewhat uh, as we record this, you know, obviously, we, we can't do this interview without acknowledging the fact that we're recording it online because of the current climate, which uh, obviously uh, caused Innovation X to, to be cancelled. What impact do you think we're going to see on productivity for those businesses that have shifted to remote working whilst you know we, we work through this uh, threat of the coronavirus? I think there's going to be some interesting, some interesting impacts of, of this whole uh, coronavirus on, on business, in fact, on life in general. I think personally that this may prove to be kind of the inflection point that really ramps digital transformation up into high gear because it's forcing us to work in a different way. And that's, that's quite an important uh, element to think about. I just want to take a step back into history. Sure. If you think about the adoption of electric motors in the manufacturing environment, electric motors, vastly more flexible way of, of powering production equipment because they, could, they can be moved around and, and situated exactly where they are needed, which is very different to the way steam-powered factories used to be be laid out. The old, the old steam-powered factories, you had the steam engine, you had a drive shaft coming off it that typically ran all the way through the factory, maybe with a few gearboxes on it and belts dropping down to drive the individual pieces of equipment. It was a very static kind of, of production model. Once you'd built that thing, you couldn't move equipment around. Electric motors did away with all that. So as we saw that shift, it obviously came with a lot of, of other advantages. So, you know, more flexible layout, they were cleaner, they could be spooled up and, and turned off very quickly, unlike a big steam boiler. But it still took somewhere around 50 years for, for electric motors to become widespread in manufacturing. And the reason for that is not just that companies get stuck in the sunk cost fallacy and think, well, we've invested all of this money in steam. We, we need to get you know, the best out of it, even though there may be a significantly better way of doing things already available. But it's also the mindsets and the, and the culture and the way you organize work. All of these things need to, to change in order to get the best out of new technologies like artificial intelligence in its in its various different guises and i think this uh, upheaval that we're going through right now is is going to provide an inflection point for a lot of leadership and managers to think differently about 
how they do work and and who does the work you know do i do i really need people to do work or could i give it to an algorithm to to get the work done so i think uh, early days but we're likely to see a more rapid change going forward and and what about when obviously hopefully we come out the other the side of this uh, current uh, pandemic and, and and looking say two to five years ahead how, how do you see technology improving productivity then so so I think if you look at what we're trying to do with SAP's uh, S4 HANA, which is a complete recasting of what an ERP system is all about. F firstly, we've moved away from the notion of this just being a system of record to this now being a system of action because we're able to embed these very smart algorithms into the business processes so that they become self-tuning and self-learning and, and thus, uh, we can offer much higher levels of automation while people get on and do the more high value tasks. The second thing is that we, with this new, it's built on a new in-memory compute platform. Uh, what that also means then is we no longer have a separation as we did have back in the day when systems were built solely on, on disks, we had to separate transactions from analytics because we didn't, couldn't get enough performance out of a disk to do both at the same time. That barrier is gone now. So what we're able to do now is do transactions and analytics on the same piece of data in the same time on the same platform. And what that means for the average user is that they now have at their disposal, everything they need, both the transaction and the analysis and potentially input from an algorithm predicting or, or advising them on the best uh, course of action to take. And when you bring those capabilities together into one ERP platform, you're going to see productivity uh, improvements from that as well. So going back to your earlier question about what's changing, when I think about S4HANA versus ERP, it's like thinking about digital photography versus the way we used to do it with film. Because if you think about owning a film camera, you had to go out and buy a film, put it into your camera, take your pictures. You often had to wait for a month or so before you'd finished the spool. Then you had either had to take that film into your own darkroom or go into some service center where you handed your film over and you'd come back a couple of hours later if you were lucky, maybe days if you weren't, pick up your, your prints, have a look through them at the counter, maybe hand the film back for reprints. Then you take those prints, go and put them in an envelope, take that to the post office, and eventually granny would get that photo of your grandchildren or your cat or whatever it was. Think about how that long, tortuous and quite costly process has changed in today's world. You pick your phone up, you snap that picture, you take as many takes as you like until you get it right, and it's instantly out there on Facebook, Instagram, or wherever you want to share it. It is a completely different experience, taking advantage of a completely different set of technologies. And that's really what we've done with S4HANA. We've created a fundamentally something that still looks after your business, but does it with the best of, of modern technology, uh, rather than the kind of mindset that we had in mind when we first built ERP systems back in the 90s. Simon, if um, listeners want to find out more information, where, where's the best place for them to go? So if they're a, an SAP customer already, 
then my first piece of advice would be to talk to their account executive because that's the person who's there to marshal the best of SAP for our customers. So start with your account executive, but failing that to go on to the sap.com uh, website where there's a plethora of uh, information on the various different aspects relating to SAP S4HANA, what we're doing with our machine learning platform, and many other aspects of our business as they as they touch on productivity and beyond. Tremendous. Uh, Simon Carpenter, uh, thank you for joining the show. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me on. You're listening to the C-Suite Podcast. To listen to all previous shows in the series, you can either visit csuitepodcast.com, follow us on SoundCloud, or subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, or in any one of your favorite podcast apps. Please do give us a positive rating and review when you do. Welcome back to the C-Suite podcast, where we're addressing the UK productivity gap. Uh, Following our chat with Simon, where one of the examples he talked about was how technology has changed the payments and invoicing process, that has given us a nice lead onto my second guest, Maria Papu, uh, Chief Product Officer at Barclay Card Payments. Uh, Maria, we're focusing on productivity. What impact do inefficient payment systems have on the UK's productivity as a whole? Um, quite significant, actually. Um, go and ask any medium-sized company um, and go to their accounts department and ask them what they're spending most of the time doing. You will receive an answer which goes along the following line. Well, maybe 20% setting up the accounts, um, maybe 30% writing on invoices. The vast majority, over 50% of the time, is actually being spent on chasing payments and chasing invoices to be paid. It's an extremely inefficient way, uh, and, and most businesses know that. And in fact, most businesses almost have a, a ratio which says, actually, if 95% of my invoices outstanding are getting paid, then I, they hit the hooray button. <laughs> because sometimes if for smaller invoices that have not been paid, it's almost it costs them more to chase it than actually to let it go. I've been speaking to a number of companies and, and everybody's is saying exactly the same, that it, it is that constant reminder of, you know, can you please pay this invoice? When are you going to pay it? And once get paid, um, how do I reconcile against the original invoice, the money that's in the bank? It feels very disconnected and it feels very, very manual for a lot of businesses. Equally, if you look at people paying for invoices, it's similarly inefficient. You receive an invoice, then someone has to check that the invoice is the correct one, then another person, it may not be the person that has ordered the goods and has to go to the the person who's actually ordered the goods to say, has this all arrived in good time? Then the the invoice has to be approved. And then once the invoice is approved, someone else has to go into the banking system, uh, input all the details of the suppliers. Or if it's an automated system through an ERP, we all know that payment rounds happen maybe once a week. Again, same sort of reconciliation issues, maybe, maybe not. What we understood from our study is it takes, on an average, about three weeks uh, for between a an invoice being received and an invoice being paid in some of the larger companies simply because the approval process takes such a long time. So there is a lot of people involved in, in, in making and receiving payments in a company, uh, which ties up in, in productivity and then reduces the productivity of companies. So yes, there is, I think, a direct linkage to that. 
It's, it's interesting, actually, you were just saying about taking about three weeks. I've often wondered and, and never, to be honest, understood why some companies say 30 days for payment. And in fact, still don't, you know, a lot of the bigger companies and then still don't pay their invoices on time. And, I, and what I was going to ask is at the moment, obviously, we're recording this at possibly the most challenging time, particularly for small businesses. So if their invoices aren't getting paid on time with a fear of what's going to happen in the future their current invoices aren't being paid on time that's a huge issue for them what what would be your message to those companies who have those invoices to pay right now and how can new technology help moving forward mm. yes as you say it's unprecedented times more than any other time before cash flow is going to be tight for a lot of companies who are currently in, in difficulties we live in a very connected world you know, companies need to protect their supply chains. And it's kind of difficult right now at a very, very short notice to change a system that's been well embedded for quite a long time. I think short term, the effort needs to be in understanding, you know, who are the suppliers that you need to pay immediately. And and maybe one thing that we are that we're saying to companies is like, normally what we tend to do is run an analytics around your um accounts payable file to see how reliable some of your suppliers are. Do you really need to check all those invoices? I think now more than ever, people need to start implementing what are called a speedy approval processes so they can then get the money earlier to the companies. I think that's a sort of creating, if you like, fast track of processes which are low tech at the moment uh, simply because you know, we're in unprecedented times. But once this, this whole area is, is, is going away now, I think you know, one needs to very carefully think about how do you actually organize the payments to your suppliers in the most cost-efficient way, not just thinking about the cost of the payment overall, but the cost of the end-to-end payment, including the processing for it. It's interesting. Um, one of the, the, the biggest inquiries we've received as a payment company in the last week was uh, demand for um, online payment acceptance. Um, as a lot of companies are moving away from face-to-face into the online environment, or companies pivoting their business models to serve uh, communities online. As I give you an example, a lot of pumps are closing. They've now transformed their businesses into a food delivery business, for example, because they themselves have, um, have, an, has, have an established supply chain which delivers them fresh fruits and vegetables. So, so some of the pubs correctly kind of say, okay, can I just sell this on to my local community and we had inquiries to say how do I receive payments fast and efficient um, and so one way for example is you know you, you switch to a card acceptance which is uh, which can be set up uh, very quickly so you can kind of receive payments online uh, using cards allow people to pay via cards online or even over the phone um, going away from traditionally what I call paper invoices and then waiting for a back payments to arrive, you can kind of draw on a payment there and then um, if you switch to these type of digital payment methods. Obviously, we've got the late payment directive uh, that exists, but do you think the, the UK government is doing enough to help at the moment? Uh, the late payment directive uh, was a very, very good initiative that the government has put forward because it prompted everybody to think about their DPOs and the DSOs of days payable outstanding and days days sales outstanding as a measure to to look at 
as you as you said previously um it might say in the invoice payable within 30 days but that often doesn't really happen uh, and it it focused pe people's minds towards the processes that they have set up uh, and what can they do to make their payments more efficient and and we as a result for example we had a lot of uh, inquiries and a lot of discussions uh, with our clients to say what, how can we transform our payables department or our receivables department in, in such a way where we can match payments with existing um, technology that we have? For example, is there a way in which we can automate once an invoice is approved on our ERP system, is there a way in which we can automate the payment there and then? Or on the receivable side, is there a way in which we can create different payment methods which are much more easier for us to accept payments as i said you know one way of that is uh, you you accept a card payment every time you have an order you send an order um, a purchasing order and you send a card payment with it so so the supplier can fulfill the order and draw the card payment and get paid immediately so there's lots of things around around sort of digital payments which enable to be embedded, if you like, in the whole procure-to-pay process to make payments not an afterthought per se, but actually payment is embedded in the process and happens automatically when an order is fulfilled. Very much like it's, for example, done with Amazon or with any other online shopping. A lot of B2B payments are moving to that model. The, the, the directive actually accelerated that in many ways people started looking at this is there a better way more more efficient way i can go about my payments now in the current environment it's obviously even more important that suppliers get paid on time uh, that businesses continue to function and that they don't run out of cash flow um, we really welcome all the initiatives that the government is starting to put in place in the last couple of days to support businesses and support businesses um, through their cash flow problems. I think the businesses then have to think about, you know, I, I have received a grant now or I have received an additional credit line with the government's help. How do I filter or how do I funnel some of the credit over to my suppliers who are in, in equally dire straits? So because we're all living in, in, in one ecosystem and if one supplier falls over, then a lot of companies can't function because they rely on their suppliers. So I, I do believe that we will see a, a domino if effect as uh, government is ejecting credit into companies that kind of rolls over into their suppliers and keeps the clock ticking for our economy. So you've mentioned things like um, you know switching to card payments and, and online payments. What other ways are, are BarclayCard currently working with businesses to improve productivity then when it comes to the payment process? Um, at BarclayCard, we have a, a product called Precision Pay, which is a B2B payments platform, which is specifically tailored to making it easier for companies to pay their suppliers. Um, the, the product works in tandem with um, your ERP uh, systems. And it allows customers to use their, their virtual cards. It's a new digital credit card payment method. So you can pay what we call tail end suppliers who accept card payments very easily through it and provide all the reconciliations and all the detail data that you need. You can also pay suppliers who don't accept cards with it because it, it has, uh, you can switch from card payments to bank payments, but you can maintain 
the cash flow benefit of a card product, uh, meaning that you can pay your supplier today and you can pay Barclaycard um, 30 days later, just like you do when you, uh, as a consumer, you go shopping with your credit card. You don't pay immediately. You get a bill once a month. So we've taken the simplicity of that consumer product, uh, which is basically you pay once a month your, your, your card bill. We've taken that simplicity and we adopted it in a corporate environment, allowing companies to pay their suppliers either with bank payments or with card payments if the suppliers uh, accept card payments and pay us basically once a month, injecting a 30-day cash flow on all, um, all the supplier payments. We have this product, uh, we, the, the way we, we look at it and deploy it with our customers is we work with them hand in hand, we analyze uh, their account payables file, uh, we try to optimize for both cash flow, but also for processes. So sometimes we, we say to our customers, if you pay someone on the purchasing order and you know your supplier and you trust them, why don't you give them a card payment? attached to the purchasing order, which is a 16-digit virtual card number, which can only be used for this particular order. And as soon as the order is fulfilled, your supplier can, can draw on it. There's many ways um, which we're working it based on, on this precision pay platform. For many companies who adopt that, it's quite an aha moment, if you like, because the other thing that you can do is you can take advantage of early payment discounts that uh, your suppliers might offer you in an automated fashion. Yeah. And do you measure the impact that uh, your systems are having on, on a company's productivity? Yes, absolutely. We provide the customers with an ongoing analytics tool. So we analyze the account payables file before um, to see some of the pain points in terms of um, um, outstanding DPO days and you know, some of their analysis of their suppliers. And then we, we keep analyzing it after the implementation to see if things have improved, if... Um, how, what percentage of payments were um, on an on a early supplier payment discount module. Uh, so, yes, we are doing that. We have a specific analytics module to that effect. Great. And I asked um, Simon this same question, so I just wanted to finish with this one because uh, I'm keen to get your opinion on it too. In terms of looking ahead, say, two to five years, how do you see technology improving productivity when it comes to payment processes? If, for me... In five years from now, payments will not be executed in the same way as they are today. They will be completely embedded within the technology process of um, communicating and exchanging orders and um, working with your suppliers. What I mean by that is that as we increasingly go online in everything that we do, from sending an order, approving an order, fulfilling an order and systems become in from a technology perspective much more linked together so you know a few years ago it would have been via phone call for example or a fax that you trying to communicate with your suppliers and you, you receive the goods or then you receive the, uh, the invoice on the post and then you go take the piece of paper and, and try to put the details on onto the uh, bank website and send the payment all of this is moving online and has already moved online. We'll move online even further and the payment will just be an embedded component within this whole process. As um, payments become more digital and you can encrypt them and you can tokenize them and you can embed them in the messages, um, will almost be automated 
completely automated is my view because you 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 can kind of set the parameters on when you pay your suppliers and and the which circumstances if there's for example a, a, a supply offers a discount you take advantage of it all of this can be programmed in such a way that it reduces manual intervention and that's where i think we're, we're going with payments more and more that's great uh well uh maria papu uh thank you so much for taking the time to chat online with us today thank you it was a pleasure talking to you thank you and so we come to our final guest of this episode, Ben McGraw, Managing Director for the SNP Group in the UK. Uh, SNP is a partner of SAP, positioning itself as a business transformation company, and their clients include organisations such as Airbus, Vodafone and Volkswagen, uh, which is why we thought Ben would be a good addition to this episode, as he'll hopefully have plenty of experience of improving productivity with some of the major projects his company has worked on. So welcome to the show, Ben. Perhaps you can start by maybe giving a, a better introduction to your business than I just did. Thank you, Russell. Hi. Yeah, as you said, SNP is a business transformation company. Um, what that means is we provide SAP customers with the technology to, to speed up uh, and to automate their uh, strategic IT initiatives. That could mean helping them move to uh, the latest version of, of SAP, which is S4HANA, uh, which your, uh, your guests have been talking about today. It might also mean um, initiatives like moving their landscape to the cloud, splitting up their systems um, as a result of, of maybe a divestment or, or bringing them together as some kind of mergers and acquisitions. What, what we do is we, we really get down into the, the detail, the, the data model of, of, a, of an S4 HANA system. It's, it's, really, it's really brain surgery for, for SAP customers is what we provide. Um, and, and, I, and I guess today what we'll be talking about is, is how that impacts on S4 HANA and, and how that can help clients uh, drive productivity improvements. Yeah, definitely. Well, before we come on to that, I mean, you just referenced our, our previous guests, Simon and, and Maria. I mean, obviously, you've had a, a chance to listen to, to what they've had to say. Did any of their comments about productivity resonate with what you're hearing from your customers? Yes, um, I, I thought Simon's comments about enterprise IT and, and, and the history of ERP and where S4HANA sits uh, within the context of that were, were really interesting. The, the, the language that SAP use when they talk about S4HANA is, is as the, a digital core for an intelligent enterprise. And when we're talking about the, the core, I mean, that, that, that's critical in, in how, how you view ERP solutions such as, such as SAP. They really do sit at the heart of, of the way an enterprise is run. Companies use SAP to run their financials, their sales, their supply chain, production planning, warehousing, procurement, all those key processes to, to a large enterprise run through SAP solutions. What's changed with, with S4HANA is partly the, the technological benefits of the software itself. Your guests talked about, um, talked about the in-memory database, the new generation of database that allows customers to, to run huge volumes of data through their S4HANA system. And what that allows them to do is bring some of that analytics, the, the big, big, big data analysis back in-house, back into the S4HANA system. So you're bringing that back into the core. So you've got everything in one place. But, but more importantly than that, perhaps, is the way that S4HANA allows you to, to leverage uh, some of the other new technologies that, that are starting to become uh, so important in the world. Uh, we talked about cloud 
hosting. So public cloud offerings like Amazon Web Services, uh, Microsoft Azure, Google Cloud Platform, the ability for, for, for companies to take that hosting work and, 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 and put it into the, into the cloud. Robotic process, automation, artificial intelligence, in, internet of things, all of these kind of uh, new technologies are enabled really through, through S4HANA. Um, and when, uh, when the previous version of SAP was originally designed back in the, the 90s, um, none of this was really on, on the agenda, none of this was available. So, so it's a completely different reimagining of the, of the architecture of, of SAP. And I think if, we, if, if you look at the significance of, of new software and how do you measure that significance, it, it can't be by how quickly something gets adopted. You know, if, if, if there's a new, we're, we're talking now on Zoom, you know, Zoom with, with the coronavirus has just taken over the world. And yeah. some, some, some new technology, some new software really is, is quick. And, and I think the internet helps things scale very quickly. Other, other technology takes, takes a little bit longer to, 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 to be adopted. But, that, but for me, I think that the key measurement is, is whether once something has been adopted, do people go back, do people change back to what they had before? And, and I think if you're looking at things like cloud and, and process automation and artificial intelligence, once this is adopted, it's here to stay. So all of these new technologies are going to be hugely important in, in, in how people work and how, how companies run their businesses. And, and S4HANA is going to be key to that for the majority of, of large customers. And specifically around productivity, any thoughts you know, on, on that with respect to what your customers are saying? Just, just to pick up very quickly on what, what Simon was saying about productivity and, and how it measures how effectively you're deploying your assets. I'd just like to bring that back to the two of those key assets, which would be uh, a company's people and a company's data. Now we talked about the in-memory database and how you can bring some of that analytics back in-house, back into S4HANA and, and really drive value from that historical data that you've spent years building up. And a very important point around uh, robotic process automation, artificial intelligence, and, and are people worried about, about it taking jobs? I think what we're seeing in any successful IT transformation is the ability to release people to perform higher value tasks. Um, we heard about the automated cash management from, from previous guests, um, but there could be any number of cases where the advantages of S4HANA are releasing people to, to work in different ways and to spend time on higher value activities. And, and I think in, in the market economy where we are, where, where, where we all operate, companies and, and, and societies are, are built on, on, on the incremental gains that come from that, that kind of productivity improvement. So on, on the one hand, customers are looking at S4HANA from the point of view of, of how do I drive productivity? How do I, how do I improve the way my, my business operates? But that can't be done outside of wider questions of, of enterprise transformation. Now, because SAP really does sit at the core, you can't decouple uh, a large scale SAP program from what else is happening in the business because it's so critical to, to how a business operates. So, so where, 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 when clients come to us and, and how we see this is that businesses really need to see any kind of large-scale IT transformation within the context of a, of a business transformation. So if we bring that back to how we work with customers, customers who are uh, looking to move to S4HANA are often at the same time looking at what else they need to do to their system uh, to take full advantage of that. So a customer who has grown through acquisition and maybe has 
three or four SAP live systems, perhaps wants to consolidate those into one single S4 HANA system and bring everything, bring everything under a single management. A company who has sold off a number of businesses since they first implemented SAP doesn't want to take across all of that data into the new S4 HANA system. A company who currently manage their own SAP landscape maybe want to, to move it to cloud hosting, public cloud, um, at the same time as migrating to S4 HANA. And, and what our software allows customers to do and, and, and the reason customers come to us is, is to, to help them, uh, one, understand what they have in terms of the size and scale of their SAP systems, the volumes of data, the types of data they have, what kind of companies sit within, what kind of interfaces. So, so we, we can really do a, um, a software-led fact-based assessment of their SAP landscape. Um, and then to work with them to understand what's possible at the same time as, as moving to S4 HANA. So, so we work with them to, 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 to merge and, and move um, and, and split their systems at the same time. So they can really take advantage of, of business change and drive business value out of these projects, as, as well as taking the, the technological benefits of, of moving to uh, a new version of, of the software. Can you share some specific examples, you know, any company examples that you're allowed to talk about? Uh, yes. So uh, we've recently finished a project with, with Airbus in Germany, Airbus's commercial aircraft division, who, who came to us to, um, th their, their requirement was they, they, were sit they, they, they have five older SAP systems that, that have grown over time uh, and they wanted to migrate to S4 HANA. Um, and what we worked with them to do was to, to merge those five older systems into one single S4 HANA system. Um, so they were able to uh, take the technological benefits of moving from um, of the of the older older system to the new with all the all the improved reporting and, and the faster month end and, and the and the better management of their of their of their stock at the same time um, as stripping away all the dead wood of the inter-system transfers that were ha having to happen every month end and, and, and really consolidate everything in, into one system and, and get quicker, better decision making. So, so that, that was a consolidation of five systems into, in, into one S4 HANA system. Um, we've been working with, with IBM in Germany to, to migrate Vodafone off their older SAP system and onto, onto a new S4 HANA box. And some of the benefits that they got from that were a significant reduction in, in redundancy and in data volume and in complexity. So they were able to reimagine how their processes should be working instead of just taking across their processes as they were. And that's what I mean by driving business value at the same time as technological benefit. So a, a couple of figures there, they, they reduced their data footprint by 90% in this project by being able to strip away some of that older redundant data as they moved across. And they're able to reduce their, their custom codes so that the, uh, the bespoke processes they had put together over the years and go back to standard. They've been able to reduce that custom code by 60%. So there are some significant benefits there in terms of complexity. And, and I think there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a, an agenda throughout the industry to, to get, get away from some of that complexity, to get back to standard, to consolidate around a, a single system or a much smaller set of systems to allow themselves to, to be able to position and, and react much more quickly in the future. The more complexity and, and, and the greater the number of IT systems that you have, 
if you were then to sell off one of your businesses and you need to get that un under the terms of the, the divestment deal, you need to get those systems split within, within six months. It's very hard to do that if you're looking at 20 to 30 IT systems with all sorts of independent data and, and redundancies and processes that flow across all of them, it's very hard to do that. So uh, what we're helping clients to do is, is to really position themselves for the, for the future and, and strip everything right back to a, to a much more simple architecture going forward. Now, now th 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 those examples were both in, in Germany and SNP is headquartered in Heidelberg, which is part of that that ecosystem that sits around SAP's headquarters in, in Waldorf. We, we grew out of that, that ecosystem 25 years ago. And, and it's true that in the SAP world, where, where Germany leads, the rest of the world tends to follow. Um, and and Germany, German companies have really been taking the lead in, in that migration to S4 HANA. And, and perhaps some, some of the rest of the industry has been a bit slower um, looking at it as, as a cost, when I think a much better place to, to start here is to look at your, your current IT landscape, your current architecture and say, is this where we need to be in five years, in 10 years time? And if it's not, let's take the chance now to, to really drive business as well as technological benefit from this, from this project. So it's interesting you, you mentioned those particular projects um, in, in Germany. I actually wanted to ask you, obviously, given um, that SNP is a, is a German company and you know a number of your clients are German, SAP is a German company. Do, do you see any difference in terms of the way that German companies are currently coping with um, the, you know, the remote working in, you know, due to the coronavirus compared to the rest of Europe or here in the UK and, and how that is impacting on productivity? I think the IT industry generally is, is fairly well set up to, to handle this. Um, a, a lot of our projects would be, would be largely remote. So, so we're having to reconfigure how we work with customers a little bit, face-to-face um, -face workshops, face-to-face um, -face meetings are obviously no longer possible for, for the moment. But, but largely in, in terms of how we work with customers, that hasn't changed. I think the, the real difference is between the various industries and the impact that coronavirus is having on them. So uh, customers in the, in the travel sector are being much worse hit than, than customers of ours who are in the, in the consumer goods sector. What I think we will start to see is an acceleration in automation um, and an acceleration in cloud. And I think we're going to see um, and maybe growing, the growing impact of, of mergers and acquisitions. So right now, as we get through the next one to two months, a lot, a lot of companies are, are just making sure that they um, that there's a certain amount of survival mode, I suppose, that companies are making sure they get through this unscathed and, and focusing on cash flow. But as, as they come out of this, I think you're going to see the private equity industry is, is sitting on a lot of cash at the moment. Um, the, the stock market uh, valuations have gone down, which is going to create a downward pressure on the valuations of companies who are looking to, to sell off businesses. Um, and, I, and I think um, some multinational companies will be looking to, to divest of some of their non-core assets to allow them to focus on what's strategic. So I think there's going to be, um, there's going to be a lot of movement in terms of mergers and acquisitions. And I think there's going to be a lot of drive towards cloud and, and automation and reducing the, uh, the reliance on, on, on physical infrastructure and, and on, on people-led processes. Uh, so yes, I think I think it's going to take uh, it's going to take some time, but the 
the impact on the on the coronavirus in, in terms of international business and 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 um, and 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 the way companies interact with their IT landscape, I, I think, is going to be huge. Well, just following on from that, then, what about the impact that has on employees of all, of, of all those businesses, on 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 the people themselves? What, one of the points we we've talked about through not just me but your other guests in terms of automation and, and artificial intelligence and 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 relying on people. I, th- I think one thing that has become uh, very clear as as everybody works from home is. Is, is how much we rely on other people. And, and I think that point that Simon made about artificial intelligence releasing uh, people to work on, on higher value activities rather than replacing people is, is hugely important. I think all of us uh, have had a, perhaps even a, a once in a lifetime chance to, um, to, to rethink how we work and, and how, we, how we work with people and started to, to reevaluate or started to see the the value of of the people around them. We're all getting to spend a lot more time with our with our families, and we're all finding it obviously very difficult to get face to face with with our colleagues. And 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 it, it's it's given us all a chance, I think, to to think about how we work. And and I don't think things will be quite the same when we when we all get back into our offices at the end of this. So assuming we're we're going to get through this in the next few months, Ben. Um, sort of looking positively to to the future what's your your thoughts about business productivity over the next say three to to five years and uh, you know for companies looking at at their their business transformation so i think over the next next five years maybe seven years when you look at the number of customers that sap has that haven't yet moved to s4hana and on the assumption that the majority of those will move to s4hana over the next few years uh, you have well over a hundred customers per week that need to make that move and i think if your competitors are making that move and are driving the the, the business advantage and the productivity gains that that, that we've that we've talked about and the other guests have talked about, you don't want to be at the back of that queue. Would would be would be my view. It would be my, so. My advice would be to to get started, to work with SAP and to work with your partners to to to, to really build up a very clear view of what you want to achieve as a business and bring that into this project and, and really make sure that you that you merge the benefits of of the business transformation that you're trying to drive with the with the technological advantages of of s4 hana um, and and to start that journey now that's great uh, ben mcgrell thank you so much for joining the show thank you russell well, that wraps up this third episode for SAP UK. So thanks once again to all three of my guests for joining me online to record their interviews. So that's Simon Carpenter, Maria Papu, and of course, Ben McGraw just now. Also, thanks to the team at SAP UK for helping us to coordinate these interviews. And if you want to hear more interesting stories from the world of IT and business, then please do subscribe to SAP UK's own Innovation X podcast series, which is available on SAP UK and Ireland channels. Plus, you can follow them on Twitter for their latest news and updates, which is at SAP UK Ireland. Uh, I'm thrilled to confirm that SAP UK will be partnering with us on more episodes of the C-Suite podcast, which we're currently planning, uh, the next of which will be a panel discussion with some great guests on the topic of digital transformation. In the meantime, we hope you've got a lot out of this episode, and we'd love to hear any comments you may have on the topic of productivity. So if you'd like to contribute to the discussion, you can do that on our Facebook page, Twitter feed, or LinkedIn 
LinkedIn and Instagram pages, which are all linked from the top of the website at csweetpodcast.com, where you'll also find all our previous shows and supporting show notes, plus links to where you can subscribe for automatic downloads of each episode via your favourite podcast app. And if you've enjoyed the podcast, please do give us a positive rating and review. Uh, Finally, if you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can do that via the contact form on the website as well, or connect with me on Twitter using at Ross Goldsmith, or you can find me on LinkedIn. But for now, thanks for listening and goodbye.